tell you what you're listening to. Welcome to Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio with Father Richard Simon. I'm here to answer your questions. Have a question? Give us a call. 1-888-914-9149. As any question you may have about the Lord, the faith, and the church, that's 1-888-914-9149. This is, in fact, a radio show called Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio. Well, hello. Happy Solemnity. I told the voice in my head, yes, I'm being happy in a very solemn way today. A Solemnity. In other words, it is, it is a big deal. This is a universal feast of the church and, um, and one of my favorites. So let's pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit. They shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. Lord, you taught the hearts of the nations by the light of the Holy Spirit. Grant us, by that same Spirit, to have right judgment in all things, and evermore to rejoice in his comfort, through Christ our Lord. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our defense against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Oh, this is a, a great feast day. And, well, I might as well just get into it. Let's open the big book on the coffee table. This is very interesting, very interesting. Well, it's all very interesting. Genesis, the third chapter, uh, the fall from grace. And um, it's a very, in, it's, it's just, it, well, it's very interesting. All right, let me let me get back to this. What, what, I can keep saying that all day. Well, the, it's fascinating that, that um, uh, first of all, and I don't really understand it, uh, um, after the man, Adam, had eaten of the tree. Now, Adam isn't his name. Adam means a man. <laughs> you know, uh, uh, it's related to the word for, for red. And so there's kind of a, a, a pun, a play on words, uh, um, that that he was made from the red clay. So so that that word Adam is, let me, let me just click this up. I didn't, didn't think of this when I was... Oh, getting ready for the show here, but I, I should have looked it up. Let me look it up here. Um, because he uses two different words, I believe, in this. Um, okay, click, bang. Okay. Okay. Now he doesn't use two different words. I was wrong. Well, Adam, Omar, he said, let me make sure it's not in the verse beforehand. Okay. No, I don't know why they put that in the reading to the man, Adam. It makes it sound like that's his name. And it's just a word meaning man. Uh, let's go back to that. Uh, people always get upset about, uh, was there really an Adam and Eve? Of course there was an Adam and Eve. There was a first man and a first woman. All right, let's see here. Um, let me, let me, 
Adam. Let me let me click on that. It just means a human being, mankind. That's what the word me means. It's it's uh, a person. This is not necessarily his name. Uh, I think that's kind of important because in the discussion of what well, was there really an Adam. Uh, rephrase the question was there really a, a, a for a man but yes okay after the man adam and Eve, and so that that first man i was thinking they was Haish adam uh to the the male the human being but it isn't they don't use the word for ish means man adam means a human being it's kind of the generic and inclusive term okay the lord called to the man and asked him where are you uh, and he answered, I heard you in the garden, but I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid myself. Then he asked, who told you you were naked? In other words, uh, you know, that how did he know? Well, he's eaten of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And suddenly things that had no uh, moral meaning to him now do. And uh, that's, that's... You know, I'm tempted to think sometimes dogs have a moral nature because they're so ashamed when they re they seem to be so ashamed when they rip apart the sofa. I don't know if they are or not, but uh, I'm not going to comment on that. But we do. We have this, this moral nature. So, well, what goes on? Uh, then he says, the man said, the woman you put here with me, this is your fault, God, gave me fruit from the tree, so I ate it. And the Lord asked the woman, uh, why did you do such a thing? Well, the serpent tricked me into it, so I ate it. In other words, it's not my fault. The word confession means to agree. That's what it means, to, to agree. Uh, the Greek word, homologin, it means to agree. Well, when you go to confession, what are you agreeing with? You're agreeing with God's judgment that you're a sinner. And they're not confessing. They're not agreeing with God. I wonder what would have happened if they said, yep, I ate it. I'm really sorry. This was this was a big mistake. Please forgive me. Who knows? We might still be in the gardens. Well, um, I think that's a fascinating thing, that, that they immediately start blaming other people. And it's exactly what I do in confession. Bless me, Father, for I have sinned. Uh, but let me explain. God in all of human history, has never once forgiven an explanation. <laughs> he will forgive any sin. And uh, <clears throat> even the sin against the Spirit does not put us beyond the possibility of salvation. Uh, it's, it's, in a sense, uh, I don't want to go into the sin against the Spirit. One, I'll talk about it at some point. But the sin against the Spirit is to, the refusal to accept God's grace. And if we refuse to accept God's grace... God respects our choice. However, the minute that we decide to accept God's grace, we bring ourselves out of that spiritual condition. Then God can begin to work in us again. Well, in a sense, that's what they're doing. They're committing the sin against the spirit, saying, I have no sin. You know, the, the, the sin against the spirit, always I was always taught, had, had two dimensions. There was despair. In other words, my sin is too big for God to forgive. Or presumption, I don't, I've never sinned, God needs my forgiveness, I don't need God's forgiveness, and so on. So there you go, this um, um, idea that it's not my fault, it is my fault. Well, let's go on, that's not really what I want to talk about here. Um, what I want to talk about is this second reading. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ, 
with every spiritual blessing in the heavens, uh, and chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy without blemish before him. In love, he destined us for adoption to himself through Jesus Christ. What does that mean? I'm telling you all the time that we, it's more than heaven when you die. We get more than heaven. We get adopted into that relationship, that family, which is God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. How does this happen? Through Jesus Christ. In other words, Jesus invites us to allow him and his heavenly Father and their Holy Spirit to transform us into the very image of Christ. It isn't simply a matter of, yeah, you're in, you're in the club, you signed up. No, uh, what did I sign up for? To be made to look like Jesus. We read this in Romans, the eighth chapter. Those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the first of many brothers and sisters. This idea of adoption. I must be conformed to Christ. I must look like Christ in order to be, because Jesus is the only one worthy of heaven on his own merits. Even our blessed mother, whose immaculate conception we celebrate today, she was not saved on her own merits, though she perfectly cooperated with the grace of the Immaculate Conception. It was Christ on the cross who saved her. And we talk about in the in the uh, <clears throat> preface, we talk about the prevenient grace. In other words, grace that has come beforehand. It's as if God, who's beyond time, borrowed grace from Calvary uh, for the salvation and redemption the, of, of the Blessed Mother. And for those people who think, well, that's not biblical. It most certainly is. Our Blessed Mother is the third person immaculately conceived. Huh? Yes, Adam and Eve were conceived, albeit in the mind of God, but they were conceived without um, the effects of original sin. And they did not accept their immaculate conception. Our Blessed Mother did. Well, let's get back to the reading here. We are seated with him, it says, uh, uh, in the heavenlies. Uh, um, I think this is a beautiful, beautiful idea that that we were chosen, destined in accord with the purpose of the one who accomplishes things to the intention of, of his will. Um, that idea in the letter to the Ephesians of being seated in heavenly places. Uh, this well, let, let me find it's not. Ex hold on. I, I've got to find it here. Um hold on I'm going to have to look this up because it's an important idea in Ephesians that's with this hold on <clears throat> oh, God. It's, I, I do actually prepare these things but then I see something shiny and, and I'm, I'm off the track okay seated in the heavenlies alright Ephesians 2.6 and God raised up raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms. Uh, Ephesians 2.6. Uh, it, it comes a little further on. But this is what he's talking about. Have you ever seen those beautiful old icons of uh, the Trinity and our Blessed Mother? Uh, a throne in the ancient world. A throne was not just a kind of narrow little chair. It was kind of like a, a love seat. And it might be made of... Uh, precious and semi-precious stones and marble and there'd be tapestries and expensive cushions on it and the king would sit on it and the king could invite someone up to his throne and have them sit on the throne with him 
And all the court stood around, and the king and this favored person could whisper in each other's ears. Frequently, um, um, a king would would have his son sit on the throne with him to make the transition of power easier. So uh, this was the idea of a throne. You you could invite someone to sit on the throne with you. Well, we are invited to sit on the throne with Christ. And I'm sure you've seen those beautiful, beautiful um, pictures of our Blessed Mother being seated, being crowned, seated on the throne with the Father and the Son. Oh, that's, that's Mary Alter, that's worshiping Mary. No, our Blessed Mother in a certain sense, <clears throat> is the icon of the church. You know, all the early visions, you have a woman, and they identified the early church. They identified her with the the church. The church was a woman. Uh, he chose us uh, in him before the foundation of the world. The early Christians believed that the church was the first of God's creation. The church was created before the world. She had no members in her. Well, that's crazy. The church is an organization, not in, the, not in the eyes of God and not in the mind of the first Christians. The church was a bride, a woman, a mother, and uh, we have the privilege to become to join ourselves to her, to become part of that, that uh, uh, woman who will be um, um, uh, seated in the heavenlies. Okay, you're following me in this? And it's a little complicated. However, when... Ephesians says in the next chapter from this one, we're seated in, in, in the heavenlies with the Blessed Mother or with the, the Father and the Son. Our Blessed Mother is the icon of the church. Now, where am I going with this? That's a, a good question that you have the right to ask. I'll get there. I really will. Has it ever occurred to you <clears throat> that if the church existed before the world and before the universe, Created in time, the church is created, but the, she is the, we believe she's the first of God's creation. There was a point at which there was, the church had no members. And then there was a point in which there was a first member of the church. Who was the first member of the church? Our Blessed Mother. She was quite literally the first person to accept Jesus Christ into her life. Physically, spiritually, mentally, everything. She was... Uh, faithful. Uh, she was certainly there at the first Christmas. She was faithful at the foot of the cross and she was at Pentecost. She's the first Christian. And now this, this is, this is a, uh, a kind of complicated idea. I love the morning offering. Oh, Jesus, through the immaculate heart of Mary, I offer you my prayers, works, joys, and sufferings this day. Why, why in union with the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass? Why through the Blessed Mother? Uh, what's she got to do with through the Immaculate Conception? Well, the Church stood at Calvary. And in union with the Blessed Mother, the first Christian, I am a Christian through her, who is the image of the Church. I stand at Calvary every time I go to Mass. I stand at Calvary with the Blessed Mother, through her. So, and why through the Immaculate Conception, though? Now, this, I hope this is not heretical. If it is, I apologize, but I'm going to say it anyway. Of course, the Immaculate Conception had to do with the perfect inheritance that the Father wanted to give to Jesus. 
But I think the Immaculate Conception is about more. It is also about the holiness of the Church. We say we believe in one holy Catholic and Apostolic Church. The Church is holy because her members are holy. If you're looking at me, you're not going to find much holy. If you're looking at, at, at the clergy, you'll find some holy and some not so holy. But when the Church had one member, that member had to be perfectly holy. Hence, she was immaculately conceived, and she said yes to that immaculate conception with all its pains and sorrows. Oh, it would be nice to be immaculately conceived, not have the tendency to sin. She was the sorrowful mother. And she suffered along with, in union with her son. So, you understand where I'm going at? Where I'm going with this? The Immaculate Conception is not only about the perfect humanity of Christ, but it is about the holiness of the Church. When the Church had one member, it was a holy member. And the rest of us sinners are joined to her, and the holiness is preserved in the communion of the saints, but especially in the Blessed Mother. The love that we have for the Blessed Mother is about the Church. I have never met a person who loved the Church and hated the Blessed Mother, or who uh, loved the Blessed Mother and hated the Church. But I've met a lot of people who disregarded the Blessed Mother and hated the Church, because they didn't understand the Church isn't uh, an organization of crabby old men like me. Uh, it, no, it's 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 uh, the Church. She's a bride, a mother. Uh, um, uh, and 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 this holy woman. So uh, this may be a strange take on the Immaculate Conception, but I believe it's really true. Just remember, at one point in history, there was only one person in the church, and that was Mary, the princess of the house of David, the mother of our Savior, the mother of 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 Jesus, who was both God and man. So we call her the mother of God. Uh, not that she's superior to God, that's not what it means, but that when we call her Mother of God, uh, the humanity uh, and the divinity, uh, the marriage of humanity and divinity is inseparable. Um, there's so much. I could go on a very long time talking about this. But this idea that we're seated in heavenly places, uh, and the word the word here is, uh, um, oh, let's see here, um, Every spiritual blessing in the heavens. That's what got me to leave the reading, go to a later reading. But this isn't just in the heavens. This is in the Epuranios. And Uranos is heaven. Epuranios. Epi, Epuranios means the ultimate heaven. Uh, there are there are levels of heaven we read in the scripture. Uh, St. Paul talks about how he was taken up to, was it the seventh heaven or the third heaven? I forget which heaven he went up to. But we Christians believed in a multidimensional universe long before the physicists did, that, that we are seated in that ultimate dimension, that more than heaven, just as in the heavens, no, it's in the highest heavens. Uh, so... Think about that next time you pray. And again, there is a wonderful, wonderful video on YouTube, if I can remember it. Uh, uh, oh, gosh, I'll try and find it during the break. It's about what really goes on at Mass. I think it's uh, the truth revealed. Um, I'll, I'll find it uh, and share it when we get back. But we're going to take a break right now. We'll come back and read some letters. And we are going to open the phones, so don't wait to call till the last minute if you got a question. 
The Relevant Radio Studio Line is sponsored by Catholic Order of Foresters. Information about employment opportunities and their flexible premium life insurance plans available at relevantradio.com slash forester. All the ends of the earth, all you creatures of the sea, lift up your eyes to the wonders all of you creatures the of the sea. Oh, you pictures of octopus. <laughs> at any rate... Oh, dear. I said, I I just want to repeat what I said yesterday. I really, really believe that the vehicle which created the civilization that we enjoyed until recently uh, was the Mass. I really do. The sacrifice of the Mass. Um, I I, I don't know if I mentioned this, but... uh, um, when I was in seminary, the professors were giving up on the idea that mass was a sacrifice. Uh, that that the the um, the uh, reformers five hundred years ago uh, were the first people in history I've heard of. Maybe the early reformers, Wycliffe and and uh, Huss, they probably would have said it too. But the first ones who said it clearly were Luther and Calvin, that the mass is not a sacrifice. And they looked at that text in the letter of the Hebrews that uh, he sacrificed was sacrificed on Calvary once and for all. Um, so how can we have, why do we have these repeated sacrifices? We don't have a repeated sacrifice. Uh, the Mass is the unbloody representation, not representation, but representation, the presenting anew of the sacrifice of Calvary. Uh, St. Paul says in his epistles, uh, I make up in my own flesh what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ. What could possibly be lacking in the sufferings of Christ? My participation. When I go to Mass and I receive the Eucharist, what I'm saying is, as he has laid his flesh and blood on this altar for me, I lay my flesh and blood on this altar for him and for his bride, the Church. Uh, I, this, I'm just repeating myself here, as we old men will do. But when you you don't go to Mass to get something, you go to Mass to give something. You're giving yourself in union with Christ. That's what it means when you receive the Holy Eucharist. You're, you're in a sense, offering to be martyred. When you say the Our Father, you're offering to be martyred. You say, uh, um, uh, sang, hallowed be thy name. When a Jew sanctified the name, it meant he died for being Jewish. That's what it means to sanctify the name. When you say the Our Father, you're saying, if you want to make me a martyr, make me a martyr. I'll live for you. I'll die for you. And that's what you're saying when you when you receive the Holy Eucharist. Uh, I didn't get the wine, Father. I didn't get the wine. What wine? You know, did you give your heart to Christ? Did you give your life, your body, soul, and humanity to Christ in communion? Or did you just come to get the wine? Um it just uh, you know we used to uh, backing up to a lot of street people we 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 had to stop giving communion out under both forms because of a tuberculosis epidemic this was many years ago uh but um uh street people would come in and chug the chalice <laughs> i didn't get the wine fodder you know that that's the attitude we have i've come i've come here to get something so um i was talking to my classmate father brankin and he wrote a paper he was utterly fascinated by the nature of uh, by by the nature of mass as a sacrifice and he gave it to one of our professors who called him in and said you know i read your paper and 
I was about to give up on the idea of mass as a sacrifice. That was the, my seminary education in the 70s, uh, early 70s. I was about to give up on, you know, I'm going to reconsider. You're going to reconsider what the church has taught for 2,000 years? Very good of you, Father. Um, but this idea that mass is not a sacrifice uh, is a novel idea. And it's what it is the, the father of liturgical abuse. You know, if Mass is not about God, it's about me, why don't you do something that I'm going to enjoy at least? That's what the Reformers said, that Mass is not a sacrifice. It exists for the uh, consolation and instruction of the people. That's a quote. Now, I think it's very important for us to realize that this attitude that the purpose of life is sacrificial I sacrifice for my wife, I sacrifice for my kids, I sacrifice, if you're a woman, for my husband, I sacrifice for the good of society. This sacrificial idea certainly wasn't perfectly appropriated in Western civilization, but it is the idea on which the civilization was built because the central ritual of our culture for 1,000 years was this sacrificial ideal, the, the idea that... that I exist to make sacrifice to God and sacrifice for the well-being of the people whom God has given me to love. And when we did away with that, our society became a bunch of self-worshipping, narcissistic, uh, um, uh, screen-watching sybarites. Uh, uh, <laughs> you may quote me. So that's what I meant yesterday, and I say it again today, that our culture was built by the sacrifice of the Mass for 1,000 years, from about 500 A.D., when the Germans started becoming Christian. <laughs> uh, this idea of sacrifice, uh, a sacrifice that involves not somebody else. Oh, there was a lot of sacrifice in the ancient world. Kill a goat, <laughs> kill a Roman soldier. Uh, sacrifice to the gods, kill a slave. No, no, no. Sacrifice me. I make up in my flesh what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ. The only thing lacking in the sufferings of Christ, as I said, is my participation. So that's what I meant yesterday, that, that, that liturgical abuse, the deconstructing of the sacrifice of the Mass, uh, began the destruction of our civilization. Liturgical abuse. And it will never be corrected until we stop abusing the liturgy until we stop making the liturgy sort of an entertainment that's about me. Uh, and uh, Father, I don't know how you're going to go about it, but go about it. You know that uh, uh, Paul, the Saint Paul, the, the sixth, um, often is not much loved by very traditional people, but he should be because he did two amazing things that saved the nature of the church. One, he stuck to his guns on Humanae Vitae. If he had not, there would have been a Planned Parenthood clinic in every rectory in South America, and uh, the population of South America would now be nothing but starving old people. Um, and, and he did that, but also when they presented a missile to him that did not acknowledge the sacrificial nature of the Mass, he said, I can't publish this. The Mass is a sacrifice. And he held to those two inviolable traditions of Catholicism that marriage is a sacrifice that we make for the love of family and ultimately of God, and that Mass is a sacrifice 
in which we offer ourselves to God in obedience. Um, there you go. All right, let us, uh, uh, what do we do now? Let's go to letters. Let's see here. I got a letter, um, and I don't know where I put it, but someone asked why is, you know, this is sort of arbitrary. That's a, a mortal sin to miss mass on a holy day, but the holy days change from country to country. Somebody called in and asked about uh, is the American conception a holy day in the United States? It's always a holy day. It's not one of those solemnities that if it happens on a Monday, you don't have the obligation. No, we always have the obligation to go to mass on the American conception in the United States. Well, isn't that the whole church? How can something be a mortal sin here, but not there? The mortal sin is not the missing of the mass, but it's the spirit of rebellion uh, that, that uh, I refuse to live up to my obligations. Now, if you cannot go to mass, you cannot go to mass. That's different, but I can go, but I'm not going because I think it's nuts and boring and I don't want to go. Um, that's the sin uh, that you, you are not willing to, to give God that 45 minutes, well, you probably are not spiritual. I remember what mortal sin means. Uh, it isn't like a super traffic ticket. No, it means it's, it means you're spiritually dead and your actions, uh, are <laughs> give evidence of, of your spiritual death. Um, I think that's one way to look at it. Um, the cause of mortal sin is not the action so much, I, I think, as the result of the sin. That uh, it, there is an objective sin. You know, if you're about to sin, you think, oh, it's a mortal sin. I, oh, I, I guess I'll go to Mass grudgingly. You're still doing it. You're still obeying. Uh, Jesus has a parable about that. There were two boys. One said, and they said, go work in the field. One boy said, certainly, Dad, and he didn't go. The other said, no, I'm not going, but then he went. Which one did the will of his father? So uh, there you go. All right, another letter. Let me find another letter here. Okay, uh, let's see here. Um, this is anonymous, but dear father, um, I commend your father for valuing family over wealth. This is, I said something a long time ago that my dad, you know, he, he, uh, at one point he lost his job because he said, I simply cannot move. We've found a good church, a decent neighborhood. My wife is pregnant and with me, uh, I can't move on. However, who's to say that he couldn't have found a nice neighborhood with a nice Catholic church if he'd moved with his employer to New York? Certainly there are nice neighbors and parishes in New York. Oh, there are lovely parishes and wonderful neighbors in New York. The point was that to pull up his family, he believed would have been detrimental to for his family. And it isn't what he did nearly so much as why he did it. He believed with all of his heart that to do right by his family was not to uproot them again. Uh, it's very hard for children when they're uprooted constantly. And, uh, uh, you know, he did it at great personal sacrifice. And I will always be grateful to my father for having done that. So I, I thought that was kind of an interesting thing. Yes, there are lovely, lovely people in uh, 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 in beautiful New York. I know. I know some of them. Uh, let's see here. Um Let's see. I I, I I wanted to get to this a while ago. Um, this is uh, I'm gonna I, I'm gonna leave it. Oh well, I don't. She doesn't ask to be anonymous. This is to Tanya. 
I work at a jewelry store and have been asked to make jewelry for a customer to wear for her deceased parents' ashes as a necklace. I understand why it's not allowed for a Catholic to wear remains. In the past, at work, I made a locket containing a lock of hair from a deceased daughter. Is that acceptable? Yes, that is quite acceptable. It's almost traditional. What about wearing a medal with a relic from a saint? Why is that okay? Because you're you're honoring you, one of the problems. Well, what's the difference if if you have a piece of jewelry with the relic of a saint? Uh, I but we don't wear uh, um, relics. I've never known. Uh, a relic, well, actually, there is a tradition to have a relic in, in a bishop's ring, but it isn't generally done. But the point is, you know it's a relic, and you're going to value it, and it's going to be passed on to the next generation. Whereas, if I have my ashes compressed into a diamond, um, well, pretty soon, who knows what's going to happen with it. Or, or if I have my ashes on the on the mantelpiece... Uh, when I die, and when my grandchildren die, or you're my, you know, the grandchildren of the deceased, what is that box of dirt on there? Let's just toss it. Actually, that <laughs> I've seen that happen. Uh, that someone comes in and cleans up an attic that's got boxes of dirt in it, and uh, uh, lo and behold, they're throwing out human remains. Um, you know, the body's sacred. That's why we don't do those sorts of things. We don't we don't use it as a thing. You know, that, that, that people are not things, and my body really is me. But you never treat a body, even a dead body, as if it were a thing. It is still uh, the, the temple of the Holy Spirit, though it is not. <laughs> the Holy Spirit does not seem to be in residence at the moment. Uh, so <sighs> that's a tough question. Um, you know, I, I, I think that... Um, the responsibility of a Catholic to um, um, to bury the dead with with due honor and and sacrament uh, does not apply to people who don't know that this is wrong. Um, I think of is it First Corinthians five sixteen? I I believe it where Saint Paul says. Let me look that up. I should write that out, but. Uh, um, St. Paul says, hold on, let me get, okay, um, uh, 1 Corinthians 5.10, not 5.16, he talks about not associating with sexually immoral people. I was not, this is 1 Corinthians 5.10, I was not including the sexually immoral of this world, or the greedy or swindlers, or idolaters, in that case, you would have to leave this world. So if a person is not a Christian and and not a believer, uh, then, you know, you, you got to live in the world. Uh, that sounds like a dodge, but St. Paul does say that. I think it's a biblical principle. We There's a higher degree of expectation put on us who know the Lord. And... Um, Will it? Will will this draw them closer to the Lord to say, "Oh, I can't do that. I'm a Christian." Well, maybe, maybe not. Um, the uh, if you can engage them in conversation and say, "You know, how about I do a locket of hair?" Because that that's a different thing that falls off us all the time, uh, and is a, a long-established tradition. Um, and why? So, well, I, I'm a Catholic, and we we really believe that that human remains should be buried in holy ground. Um, 
But, you know, if you insist, I can do it for you. Well, I'm a Catholic, too. I'll look it up and think about this first. So if you can engage a person in a reasonable dialogue instead of just come down on them like uh, ugly on an ape, well, um, you know, that that's better. All right, let's, let's go to a break. We'll come back with a word of the day, which I think is an interesting one. 888-914-888-914-9149. Oh, happy day. Oh, happy day. When Jesus I love this song. I remember we used to use it for Mass in my second parish. I love this song. It's not good for Mass, though, <laughs> I don't think. Um, before I go to the Word of the Day, there's one more brief, very brief letter that I wanted to, to uh, look at. It's from Katerina. Hello, can you recommend a good book on the Book of Revelation? The absolute best book on the Book of Revelation, uh, the best book written on it since St. John wrote it, I believe, is Dr. Scott Hahn's book, The Lamb's Supper. Dr. Scott Hahn, The Lamb's Supper. It is profound, and he nails the book of Revelation perfectly. All right, let's go to the word of the day. Uh, in the word of the day, we find, if I can find the reading, uh, we hear about uh, in the first reading that that Adam called her Eve. The man called his wife Eve because she was the mother of all the living. What does that have to do with anything? Well, in Hebrew, the the word Eve is, uh, if my computer would cooperate, I can do it without the computer, Hava. And that is related to the word for life. It's a kind of pun. You know, you say L'chaim. Chai is uh, uh, um, the word for uh, um, life. L'chaim means to life. Well, this is Hawa. That's how you say Eve in in Arabic. Eve, or rather, rather in Hebrew, Eve is is uh, 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 dragged through Greek and through Latin into English. So um, that's why they use Hawa, the the mother of all the living. So I hope that helps. The word Eve, Hawa, in Hebrew is related. All right, let's go to phone calls. The phone is ringing. Whom do we have on the phone, dear voice in my head? Al from California, what can I do for you? Oh, thanks for taking my call, Father. As I walk into work here, I'm going to probably just have to ah. ask and then listen to the encore uh, for the answer. No problem. Um, well, what's the question? I, I you know... Well, it kind of ties in with uh, the last letter you read about um, um, cremated remains. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I know where the church stands on Catholics scattering ashes. You know, they frown yeah. upon that. Uh, what about attending a memorial for somebody that is going to do that, that is non-Catholic? That's, and, that's um, you know, like said, uh, that, that, would, that would be fine. I mean, you're not, you're not, you're not causing it. Uh, funerals are not the time to argue with people about religion. <laughs> there are certain times that one can discuss these things. The funeral is not one of them. You're welcome to attend that funeral. Um, 
They are not, as I said, held to the same standard we are. Um, I, I, you're certainly, uh, that's certainly okay for you. Um, you know, if you were going to attend the ritual sacrifice of your next door neighbor, I would say don't go to that. But, uh, um, you know, it's a done deal. So, I, yeah, that's not a problem. Does that help? Yes, thank you very much. God bless. God bless. And uh, um, uh, just perhaps you can have mass said for them or something. All right. Uh, who have we got now, dear voice in my head? Brian from Fairview, Illinois. Are you with us, Brian? Yes. Hello? Good. What can I do for you? Hello. Yes. Hello. Yes. <laughs> yes, Father. My my question has to do with uh, what is the difference between uh, forgiveness of sins and absolution. I, I recently read a Catholic tract, and it said that, you know, if you pray to the Lord and ask for, for forgiveness, your sins are forgiven. And, but going to confession, well, you ask for absolution, so your sins are absolved, which yeah. I forget and forever. Is there a difference there? <laughs> um, not as big a difference as one would think. To forgive literally means to let go. Uh, so God lets go of, of, of your sin. Uh, you have to let go of it too. Absolution, uh, actually means a washing away. So in a sense, forgiveness isn't enough. You need to be rewashed. And this has to do with baptism. In a sense, we don't rebaptize people. Well, if you're baptized, you're baptized. If if you were baptized by immersion, by sprinkling, if it involved water and the Trinity, you were baptized, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and uh, uh, the washing with water. So the word absolution, in a sense, means rewashing. We get the word solution from it, to dissolve away. I think in Greek it's literacy. And and it it means a, a, a washing, so you're reincorporated into the church by the sacrament of reconciliation. You know the that that um, yeah God God forgives sin readily, but uh, absolution for serious sins because you see you haven't just offended God, you've you've damaged by sinning. We we hurt one another. We hurt the whole structure of the church. So it isn't quite enough. I know that sounds a little odd. Uh, well, if God forgives me, then isn't that good enough? Yeah, but not quite. You know, we need to be fully reconciled, fully washed. So there is a difference. Forgiveness means to let it go. But on the other hand, there's still consequences to our sin that affect more than me. Does that help a little? Yeah, yeah, it's fine. Good, good. I... I, I uh, I'll have to think more about that because, you know, they're different words and they have different meanings, but they're tied together. They're not, they're not one. You can't have one without the other in a sense that the forgiveness of God is always available. And remember the catechism says that, that we are bound by the sacraments. God is not. And I love what C.S. Lewis said uh, in the Screwtape Letters. He has the devil call God a terrible sophist who will, who will get people to heaven on the flimsiest of, of excuses. Well, I'm hoping that's true. Then I might see you there because uh, I, I, I'm talking about me, not you. So, you know, that uh, we mustn't presume uh, that uh, it's all good. And, and confession is such a wonderful thing, you know, to hear the words, I absolve you, not even I forgive you. Uh, the priest doesn't forgive you. It's God who forgives you. But I absolve you. 
I think that that's where the difference is, is most clear. Uh, priest doesn't say, I forgive your sins. By his authority, I absolve you from your sins. I wash away your sins. Uh, I reapply the waters of your baptism. So I, I think that that might be a good way to, to look at it in the, in the uh, context of the sacrament. So thanks for calling in and thanks for listening. Who do we have now, dear voice in my head? Christy from Glendale, California. Are you with us, Christy? What can I do for you? Hi, Father. I'm so glad Hi. to take my phone call. Um, I'm honored. What can I, I do for you? I'm, yeah, I just want to let you know that um, my husband passed away a week ago. Oh, and, um, I'm so he, sorry. He, loved, he really loved your show. He loved your oh. show so much. He oh, just thought I you hope were it the, was a blessing to him. It was. He what's just his, what's you his first best. name? What's his first his name? His first name is Rod. Rod, I will offer mass for him. I will offer my next oh. mass for Rod. Oh God, um, thank you yeah. so much. Oh, that's, oh, how how long were you married? Um, for like about uh, over twenty five years, twenty three years, something oh. like that. Oh dear, oh dear. Oh, I'm so sorry for you. That's a hard thing. Well, let me say a prayer with you. Can I do that on the on the? Oh, please, uh, please do. Okay. Please. I just want you just a simple thing. I just want you close, if you if you're not driving, uh, just close your eyes. Can you do that? Yes, I can. And I I want you to picture uh, uh, Rob. Just picture him, and I want you to picture our Lord comes up around him and just puts his arm around him. And and. They're both smiling, you know. They're both <laughs> smiling, and just just imagine that, Lord. Okay. We ask you to 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 take Rod into your your care and into your love, and uh, Lord, I ask you to let my sister know that that he's closer to her than the air she breathes, and uh, that heaven really is just a breath away, and uh, Lord. We thank you. I want to tell you a story. This is, this is a beautiful story. I will never forget the first man I met who had one of these experiences of, you know, beyond and back, you know, the, the light, the tunnel, all that sort of thing. He dropped dead of a heart attack at home. And uh, um, he, he said he found himself floating on the ceiling. <laughs> and he thought, why is everyone upset? You know, his wife was hysterical. And the kids were calling the emergency number. And he thought, why is everyone upset? I feel fine. Uh, and, and he said he, there was this dark tunnel, but it wasn't frightening. It reminded him of the psalm, the valley of the shadow of death. And he was brought through it, and he came out into a city of light. He said it wasn't a city, but it wasn't light. And there was Jesus, a person of perfect light and love in front of the city. And uh, uh, he had a, you know, a life review, a judgment. And, and uh, he said something beautiful. He said that he could hear all the prayers of humanity become like one prayer before God. And it wasn't just our prayers that went to heaven, but that when we sincerely prayed in, in the spirit, that, that our spirits stood before God and became like one spirit before God's throne. And he said, in all of that beauty, now this, I hope this isn't a little harsh, but in all that beauty, he heard one prayer that bothered him. It was his wife saying, you got to send him back. We still have small children. And, you know, and the Lord looked at him and said, your work in the world isn't done. You have to go back. And he passed back to the same tunnel. And I've heard other people say this, that that um, uh, that it didn't hurt to die. What hurt was to come back to life. And he said that when he got enough, he woke up and he was in the hospital. He'd been dead for a half an hour. Uh, and they didn't get his body to the hospital. 
uh, until, until, oh, like a half hour. And, and he said when he woke up, and there he is in the emergency room, he shouted, why didn't you leave me there? And he was actually so mad at his wife, this poor little woman, she was half his height, said he wouldn't even talk to me for, for a couple of days. He was so... Oh, my goodness. Yeah. And, you know, but the thing to me that's most beautiful, you know, I love the idea of purgatory because Rod, if he died in the grace of Christ, um, and it sounds like he did, that he's standing in front of God who is light and love and anything mm-hmm. in him that isn't light, that isn't love is being burned away by the, by the fire of God's love. And so mm-hmm. he's more able to love you now than he was a week, a month, a year ago, because he's standing in front yeah. of God who is love. And you know, he hasn't stopped loving you. And so don't stop loving him. Go to heaven mm-hmm. by praying for him. And, and, uh, uh, you know, that the, the, the gulf between those who we love, who are gone, it, it's a very thin veil. And, and uh, you know, I will certainly be praying for you. And I will offer, as I said, I'll offer Mass for Rod. And uh, oh, it, it must be just devastating to lose the companion of 25 years. But you haven't lost him. Uh, he's closer to you now than he was before he died. Um, so I'll be okay. praying for you. God bless you. And for all of you, you who've lost loved ones, oh, you're welcome. And, and I, I cannot imagine your grief, but, um, you know, there's no tear that's lost to God. Uh, no tear at all. Uh, all of our sufferings, all of our pain are wrapped up in the Mass as we stand at the foot of the cross with the Immaculate Conception. All right. Uh, Drew's coming up. Don't go anywhere. (laughs) We'll keep praying. 